Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Donna May. She is author of The Innocence Sons, Daughters, Siblings, and Others, Living with Addiction and Mental Illness, which is scheduled to be published late fall of 2013. She's also a speaker and advocate for addiction and mental illness awareness. Hi, Donna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here, and I'm looking forward to having you share some of the things that you've learned on your journey and to share your story and about Jack's Voice which is the organization that you founded. Before we talk about Jack's voice and what happened to actually prompt that to be started, can you just share a little bit about your background and history that led up to some of your life events that were life-changing for you? Honey, I think I know more about my background now than I ever did while I was living it. Mm -hmm. Um, Jacqueline... Um, well, I'm from a small town in northern Ontario called St. Marie, and I grew up normally um, like most families do. I decided at about the age of 25 that I wanted to leave my hometown and my husband and bring my children out to Toronto. It was a major career move for me, and I started out in the field of design. Mm-hmm. I later became ill and couldn't do the traveling that my my career demanded and decided to go into the law, the field of law. Mm-hmm. And how many children do you have? I have three children, okay. two boys and my daughter, Jack. Um, Jack is in the middle. My older son has remained in Sault Ste. Marie. And my youngest son is here with me in Toronto. Okay. And so you went on this journey to start your life in a different way, to go down a different path with your three children. As life went on, what were some of the things that became apparent as far as challenges with your children and the life you were living? Well, I never really had challenges with my boys, and that's something that's always been perplexing to me. Um, It was my daughter, and I thought that perhaps it was going through puberty. I blamed it on a lot of things. Uh, The fact that she was the only girl, the fact that I took her away from her father. um, She just never really seemed to find a place within the family. And as I look back on it now, I, I see that she never really found her place, no matter where it was she, she was. Mm-hmm. Um, she just never seemed to be happy or fit in. We sought medical um, advice on this several times from many different doctors and never were able to pinpoint what it was about her that was different Mm -hmm. and why she never felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell the audience or share with the audience rather, when was it that you felt that there were issues with your daughter? What age and what are, what did those things look like? So if other people 
are thinking about some of the things they're struggling with with their kids. And I know we all have struggles with our kids of different sorts. But what were the things that you noticed that were creating within you a sense of anxiety or fear about what was happening with your daughter and around what age did all that start? It started very early, actually. Um, I can even think of things as far back as infancy, um, not wanting to be held um, by me. Mm-hmm. She was very disassociated with any type of mothering uh, whatsoever. She didn't want to be coddled or, or held. She refused to do things for me when it, she was asked to do things. Mm-hmm. Um so it really started very early, but it was just something that we laughed about. It was like, okay, she's a daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to get her to pay attention to mommy. So, you know, and her father took it on. He thought it was very endearing, you know, that she was a sweet little thing that used to only respond to his his will. Growing up, it became even more evident. You could actually see things going on in her her mind, um, and she became very uh, manipulative. I've even had people describe the look in her eyes being that they were in fear of it. Mm-hmm. I took her several times and spoke with several, several different doctors and psychiatrists on her attitude and how she functioned within the school system and at home and was never given any real advice on how to manage it. Mm -hmm. And she went on through life um, just increasing with her demands and increasing with her manipulation, and it grew into many different things, uh, including her dependency on opiate drugs, um, her criminality, her need for attention, and her lack of empathy or emotion towards mm-hmm. other things that were going on. Mm-hmm. And how did her behavior and her personality and the things that were going on affect your other two children, your sons? And how did that impact the family unit? It was devastating. In the separation of her father and myself, he remarried. And Jacqueline became, went to live with them and became very destructive in their relationship, mm-hmm. as she did in any relationship that I had. It just seemed to be a game for her, and she would step back and think of it as being humorous. Mm-hmm. And I could never understand that, even though I realized it and spoke to many different people about it. There was never a real understanding of what it was she was doing. It's easy to look back now and see you know, what was, what the cause of it all was. But at the time, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, her two brothers were the ones who were affected most um, in the family. And just that it took so much of our time and our attention to always be correcting Jacqueline and, and caring for her, um, they were left out. Thankfully, they were different types of children and didn't need the attention that she sought. Mm-hmm. So we had the time. But, you know, looking back, we've, we've missed a lot mm-hmm. in her brother's lives. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. And I know that's a huge frustration for many people having to deal with mental illness and addiction issues in someone within the family. 
Can you talk to the audience a little bit about your feelings as a mother dealing with all of this, as you mentioned from the onset, from infancy, of your daughter being disconnected and disengaged from you and then going on to become manipulative and destructive? How did that affect you emotionally and mentally? I felt like a failure. Um, I thought... Like I said, I sought the advice of different professionals in how I could uh, change or live with or understand my daughter's behavior and never understood it to be an illness. I didn't know anything about the different personality disorders that described my daughter Mm -hmm. um, until just before she passed away. And we finally got a diagnosis and then everything came to light and it was... You know, it's almost self-explanatory once you have a diagnosis and you can look back and say, ah, that's what happened. Uh, I wish I had known that at the time. Mm -hmm. I think it would have helped all of us in the way that we related to Jacqueline, the help that we would have sought for her. It's just, it's, it's very sad that we didn't have that to work with at the time. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. What tips do you have to share with the listeners if they are dealing with someone in their family unit that has mental health and addiction issues? How did you get through the day-to-day? How did you get through the painfulness, as you said, of, of being a mother to a child that was different, that needed extra help, that... You didn't really have any clear sense of what was wrong or what to do. How did you get through those years, and what tips would you offer to others? Well, first of all, the one thing I want to stress is trust your instincts. If you feel that something is wrong, there is something wrong, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it be with you or with the child. But certainly seek advice. Now, when Jacqueline was first displaying these signs, we didn't have the internet. It wasn't around. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any sources to go to, or few sources to go to. Our northern communities in Ontario do not have the facilities that the major cities have. So I I was pretty well left on my own. And also, there was a big stigma attached to the fact that somebody had, in your family, had a mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm. That stopped me in many ways from educating myself in uh, the different things that would have eventually helped my daughter. Now I know a lot, and I found most of my information and most of my contacts through searching the Internet. Mm -hmm. And I speak now with a lot of doctors that I would have put on a pedestal prior to this, and I speak to them about the things that I noticed in my daughter and educate them. Mm-hmm. On, so what, what are some specific ways that you actually got through the day-to-day, especially over the years? Are there specific tips that you can share? Besides, I love what you said, getting connected to others, finding help, finding resources. Are there things that helped you to deal with your despair and your frustration? There, there was. I, I am a very... Um, open person. I spoke to many different groups in counseling for addiction. The things that I would recommend to people is don't do what I did at first and that hide and deny. Mm -hmm. 
it, it won't get you anywhere. When you see the signs of either mental illness or addiction, and I'm going to speak on addiction because I think that that's where things were very evident with Jacqueline that I kept denying. Um, once I stopped the, the denial process and started realizing that Jacqueline, I'm going to call her Jacqueline, but my book describes her as Jack because that was my nickname for her. Jacqueline showed very obvious signs of addiction very early on. What I would suggest to parents is get connected with different outlets within their community that speak on uh, the signs and symptoms of addiction mm-hmm. in a young adult. And some of those signs are, are very evident. Um, the lying, the thievery, sniffling all the time, uh, the change in habits, the change in appearance. Look for these things and, and be aware. Great. Were there things that helped you to get through dealing with the problems with your daughter and dealing with facing the realization? Did you have counseling yourself, church, friends, support from loved ones? Was there anything that helped you? Um, the only thing that I can say that did help was that I found a psychiatrist myself to work with me, to validate my emotions, my feelings that were going on. And I I attribute my wellness to finding medical help that supported what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I I really closed up. I felt alone in the world. Um, I didn't take advantage of a lot of the services that were available. When I did reach out to professionals with Jacqueline, I found I hit a lot of walls. There is still a lot of miscommunication between addicts, the families of addicts, and the addicts themselves, the doctors. And that's one of the things that I am working so hard to make a difference in, is bringing communication between the families of addicts the addict themselves, and the communities, the judicial, um, the medical, and the governmental systems, bringing, bringing it to a like mind. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, and that, that is important and needed. And as you said earlier, there really has been a stigmatism about addiction and mental illness. So part of it is getting people to just talk in the first place and yeah. share ideas and share thoughts and share about ways that they've healed, gotten through things, learned, those types of things. What was your daughter's diagnosis, and at what age was he, she finally diagnosed? Jacqueline wasn't clinically diagnosed with having a sociopathic behavior until six months before she died. So she was 34 years old before we had a... No, she was 33 years old before we had a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I began speaking about my concerns when she was 18 years of age. Mm -hmm. I thought she had a condition when she was as young as seven. But the medical association says that it can't be diagnosed until the age of 17. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, 15. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned feeling the frustration of that, not having that diagnosis until later, and certainly not having more clear direction about how to help your daughter. What do you say to those listening to the show that are going through that frustration? How can you help them? 
Again, I would have to rely on basic instinct. If you think that there is something wrong, then there probably is. Mm-hmm. And you need, and if you cannot get help for the person, either because they're refusing to seek help or the systems in place refuse to see the person until they admit that they need help, get help for yourself. Get the understanding under your belt so that you're better equipped to work with the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in my case, that was the one thing that changed the outcome of Jacqueline's life. I was able to go to my daughter in the end, uh, the ending months of her life and say, listen, I finally understand. I get it. Mm-hmm. I see where your life went off track. I understand why. I understand it from a physical, a spiritual, and a mothering point of view. And I'm here to help you make peace with all the things that have happened in your life mm-hmm. before you finally die. And we did. I'm so grateful for the last six months of her life because it made her life make sense to me. Mm. And now I can, yes. And I can use that experience now to talk to other parents who might, it might be too late to make too much of a difference, but at least there'll be some difference. There'll be an understanding. That's right. And I, I think as a parent, we need that, especially when we're, we're going through such challenging times as addiction or mental illness or a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. I'm so blessed to have those six months. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I know that's, you know, extremely difficult when you had 30-something years to only have that one six months of bringing it all together. But it is a gift indeed and something that we want to encourage anyone who's listening to, like you said, get help, find help, figure out what you can do yourself to deal with the situation and get more involved in whatever's happening and understand it and talk about it. What was the end result of your daughter's life? How did Jacqueline's life end and how did you put all that in perspective? I know you had the six months together, but can you share with the audience? Well, it was a very dramatic uh, time. Uh, Jacqueline had been in Sault Ste. Marie living on the streets and um, had gotten herself into a situation where she was involved with organized crime and the selling and dealing of drugs. Jacqueline had used what she was given to sell and they were after her for retribution. Uh, She was very badly beaten and hospitalized. She was supposed to be murdered and they, someone stepped in and stopped it from happening. That individual was himself murdered. So Jacqueline was involved with the judicial system, with the hospital system, and at the same time refusing any help from family. She ended up running from Sault Ste. Marie out to British Columbia, and nobody knew where she was. I found out several months later where she was and began helping her get into a recovery home. Even there, she was doing drugs, but she was seeking some type of help, which is more than I had hoped for. Mm-hmm. She um, became very ill while she was out there uh, with plural septic pneumonia caused by her addiction, and I went out to visit with her and see what more could be done, and at that time, the doctors told us that 
was probably too late to save her life, but uh, she kept, even if she kept on the same path of using uh, drugs, it would probably take her life regardless. I saw JC get well and put her back into the recovery home, which she left within a week's time, and ended up back out on the streets doing and selling drugs. Mm. And I got a call January of 2012 and telling me that she would have her legs amputated. She had contracted necrotizing fasciitis due to um, two diseases that were related to her drug abuse. So I flew out and I decided that there was no more turning away from Jacqueline, whether she liked it or not. She was going to have me in her life taking care of her. And I did. I stayed with her out there until she was well enough to come back to Ontario and brought her back to my home and lived by her side day and night until the day she died. Caring for her, talking with her, discussing her situations with her, learning about what it was like to live on the streets, Mm -hmm. what it was like to be facing death from her addiction, um, helping her come to terms with all of the things that she had done because of her addiction. And there was a lot. She was a major suspect in a death of another individual whose murder still hasn't been solved to date. So there was a lot that as a mother, I had to look at and um, face with my daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just talking about how, I mean, being a sociopath, you have no empathy, you have no sense of criminality that you're causing, mm-hmm. no remorse. So I had to explain to her from my point of view how it felt for me mm-hmm. and give her an understanding as a mother. Jacqueline also had three daughters that still live up in St. Marie that will live with the repercussions of her life. And my major goal right now is to bring awareness to her mental illness and why she did what she did to rectify that stigma for her daughters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I understand. That's important. Was there any point towards the end when you had this time with your daughter that you actually had a connection with her, an emotional, loving connection. Yes, but not even right at first. I think it was about three months before her death, she finally touched me in a way, and I mean physically touched me in a way that showed me that she actually had the ability of care and concern for another human individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time ever mm-hmm. that I had ever seen that in her. Mm-hmm. So and it was simply by touching my hair mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bringing me to her and say, you know, and saying, "Mom, I love you. I really do love you." Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, and and I think that's so important to share because I think that there's a lot of people out there dealing with addiction, dealing with mental health issues within the family, in their own selves. And there are times that there's a reason to have hope that something can get better, that there can be a change in a relationship. Unfortunately for you, you weren't able to continue on the relationship and see if it could grow from there. 
but I certainly... Well, I don't know if that's true, Angela, because I, <laughs> I feel Jacqueline's presence in everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel her guiding me to speak to different people, to be kind to other people, to understand other people and where they're coming from. So I carry on that relationship with my daughter, whether she's here or she's not here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's probably easier for me to do it now that she's gone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So tell us then about Jack's Voice. Where did that come from and what is it all about as far as the organization that you created? What do I plan to do with Jack's Voice? Well, I plan on speaking for my daughter, being her voice and educating people and making them aware on the different concerns that we found in the judicial, medical, and governmental systems. That was Jacqueline's wish. We began talking about it when we got back to Ontario, and she wanted to make a difference. She wanted to make her life matter. And in seeing that come into um, fruition, we decided that it would be named Jack's voice and that I would speak for her. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And tell us a little bit about the book. I know that the book is part of your story and part of Jacqueline's story. Can you share with the listeners some of the highlights of the book and how it would help others? The Innocence describes Jacqueline's life and the family situation and how we responded to her and also the community and how they responded. Uh, It begins with Jacqueline's beating and then backs up to describe her as a child and some of the things that should have been indications, clear indications of her personality disorder that were missed. It will help my audience see what signs they might find in their own children or loved ones. And it will describe what we faced going through her life with the different stigmas that were attached to it, um, regardless of whether we were dealing with her health care, her different times within the judicial system, her education, how different teachers pointed out serious faults with her personality, and how it was always overlooked. I want to use this book as a tool to guide other people to see different things within their own lives and how things can be changed. That makes sense. It sounds wonderful, and I'm excited for you that this will be coming out, be published and available to others. And I know you're already helping a lot of people with the things that you do, speaking and advocating for mental illness awareness and addiction awareness. Can you share with the audience how they can connect with you further and stay in touch with you as far as what you're doing? Yes, I welcome them to visit my website, which is jacksvoice.com. It's www.jacvoice.com. Wonderful. Donna, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story today, for sharing about Jack's voice and your upcoming book. I'm very grateful for you for coming out and using your voice to help share the journey that you've been on with your daughter and your family. And I know it will help encourage and inspire others. And it's definitely, definitely needed. We need to stop keeping quiet about a lot of things going on. And we need to not just bring about awareness but education and how to find support and resources. 
Thank you, Angela, for having me on and for letting me tell you my daughter's story. <laughs>